The Run Culture podcast has always been a passion project. It was created to share stories and experiences, to educate runners and to grow the sport. Ultimately, to show that running is cool. The podcast has provided us all opportunities to listen and learn from some interesting people in the running world. Welcome to the Run Culture podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I am an all-out running fan and an accredited running coach, a marathoner myself and an experienced physiotherapist that specialises in treating runners. So, before we get right into the show, if you have enjoyed any of the previous episodes of the Run Culture podcast and they have added value to your life and you want to support the podcast going into 2021, then we have a Patreon page. It's linked to in the show notes. A small monthly donation will go a heck of a way to keeping the show alive. By doing so, you too can also feel fulfilled that you are doing your bit to promote and grow the sport. Also, for those runners interested or in need, links to my online strength and conditioning course for runners or run therapy, my physiotherapy clinic, are also in the show notes. Alas, enough from me. Here's this week's interview. Welcome back to another episode of the Run Culture Podcast. Today, I'm very fortunate to be chatting to Vanessa Alford, who is the author of the book, Fit Not Healthy, a former elite marathon runner and experienced physiotherapist, a Pilates instructor, public speaker with a background also in nutrition and a lot of experience working in health and wellness. Welcome to the podcast, Vanessa. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for jumping on, Vanessa. Um, I first learnt about you because I borrowed uh, your book, Fit Not Healthy, in the Frankston Library about a month ago, and I was intrigued by the title. Um, What does the title mean, Fit Not Healthy? Because that's what really jumped out to me because, yeah, I thought it was a great title. Mm, Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of people think, you know, if you're fit, you're obviously very, very healthy, and often that is the case. Um, But for me, you know, I started off like that. I started off very fit and very healthy. But I guess when my running became more of an obsession and an addiction, that's when it became unhealthy. So, you know, in the the peak of it all, I was the fittest person that you would have known. I mean, I was running, maybe not that all the runners know, but generally, if you look at the general population, um, you know, I was running comfortably four to four 15 minute Ks. So, you know, very, very fit. Um, but yeah, I had become extremely unhealthy, you know, addicted to running to the point where it was taking over my life. And, um, that's, that's all that mattered. And I was so, I guess, caught up in it and, and blinded by this obsession that I didn't really realize just how detrimental it was to my health, um, short term and long term. And I definitely didn't expect to suffer the, you know, the consequences that I did. It's, um, so, um, awesome that you've spoken out about like your experience um i i um i'm really fascinated by what do you feel like led to the change and and led led to sort of the exercise addiction because it doesn't sound like you were always like that um it sounded like um once you sort of moved away to townsville i think it was um and uh yeah it seemed to sort of just um gradually um uh, change from there? What, what do you think led to it? Yeah, I think, look, it's my personality that I'm very driven and goal orientated. You know, I'm a type A personality. I've always liked to succeed and, and done pretty well at a lot of things that I do. Um, so, you know, it's always, I guess, in me. <laughs> um, 
running was never a huge part of my life. Like growing up as a teenager, I was into netball and tennis and I didn't really enjoy running. I wasn't that great at it. Um, but I guess, yeah, once I graduated from university, I moved to North Queensland and I started running a little bit more. You know, my 6K runs became eight, which became 10. I started some long runs on the weekends. Um, I was living by the beach. It was warm, beautiful weather. And I met a few people and someone suggested that I start training for a marathon. And like I said, I'm very goal orientated. So now that someone had given me this challenge, I thought, yep, we'll go for it. So I did. And I, I did okay. I, I had a great experience. I enjoyed it. I did it 3.35, I think my first one. Um, and I guess that just that feeling of crossing the line and having accomplished something that a lot of people never do and um, just made me hungry for more. And so from there, I, you know, I did another one in Thailand. I, I think I did a 3.20, finished second. Then I went back to Townsville, did another 3.07. I did a 3.07. I won it. Um, and I guess that's when it became, you know, like just this, I got this taste of success and I just became hungry for more. And that's when it started, I guess, taking over my life. I loved it. Like it's not, it wasn't a chore to train. Um, you know, I, I gradually lost a bit of weight. I looked like a marathon runner. I had comments, which for me was a compliment. Um, and I just, I guess I developed this identity as a runner, which I loved and I didn't want to lose that. And that's, like I said, it's when it became just everything. Nothing was a priority over running. Um, and I was running faster and faster, you know, I was, I was getting PB after PB. So at the time I was like, I'm doing everything right, you know, and I just wanted to keep improving. And looking back, that's when it became unhealthy. But at the time I, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. For runners that are unsure at the moment, whether their relationship with running is harmonious or obsessive, like when you reflect back on it, what are some of the key character traits um, that differentiate the two? I think when, I think you need to have a balance. I think balance is, is the big word there. So, you know, you can still be running 100, 150K a week, but if it means eliminating everything else from your life, like social life, um, you know, time for friends and family, um, that's, I guess, when it, it's not normal, um, it's not right. When you start feeling tired during the day, heavy legs, it becomes a big, bit of an effort to get out and train. You know, that's not right either. That's your body crying out for rest. Um, for me, looking back, uh, I developed two stress fractures a few months before I, I got really sick. So that was a warning sign. But for me, that was like, well, I'm a, I'm a marathon runner. They get, the, they get stress fractures. It's okay. <laughs> um, but it's not okay. It's, that's your body saying I'm breaking down and I need rest. So I think they're probably the big ones just, yeah, when, when other things are not a priority that should be um, and when you actually you start getting physical signs that the body is asking for, for rest. Uh, it's so fascinating, isn't it, that um, your occupation as a physiotherapist, um, you know, you would have been educating so many other um, others um, uh, on moderation and rest and recovery and balance and then it's funny, funny how like when it comes to yourself, it's quite hard, hard to, hard to do. Like I am self-coached as a runner and the problem with self-coach or coaching yourself is um, sometimes you can err to sort of that emotional buy-in of what you want to do rather than what you probably should do. Um, yeah. Talk Absolutely. a little bit about that and, um, and uh, yeah, how, how that can actually happen because you, you I guess like you sort of knew what you were doing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I knew what yeah. I was doing. And look, I mean, I think deep down I knew that it wasn't healthy and I knew that, you know, that, yeah, I, sh I should be changing my ways. But I guess when you don't feel immediate consequences, you just think I'll worry about it later. Like I even had people telling me I was too lean and, you know, I probably wouldn't be, I'd have trouble having kids later. And I'm like, well, I'll worry about that when the time comes. I don't need to worry about that now. Um, but you're right, you tell other people, it's very easy to tell other people to rest and have time off and do the rehab. And but when it comes to yourself, it's, yeah, it's a lot harder. So I think I knew deep down what I was doing was not healthy. But like I said, I was so blinded by this obsession and also controlled by this voice in my head. Um, you'll hear a lot of people talk about this voice who, who have an addiction um, or even people who have like eating disorders um, you know, there's this voice in your head that starts controlling you. So that for that that voice would tell me, you know, that if I was to miss a day of exercise, that I, it would make me feel extremely guilty and, you know, lazy. Um, it would also tell me, you know, if, if I uh, if if I did eat too much without training, that again it would inflict guilt on me. So it would make me feel very guilty. So yeah, it, it's tough. It was like me against this voice, um, which was very overpowering. And I guess more overpowering than my my knowledge and and wisdom as a physiotherapist and nutritionist yeah yeah and then like at at the the worst of it like how, how addicted you did you get like what are some of the things that you look back on and you're like i can't believe i sort of got to that stage where running was so important yeah um there's probably two, I guess, two instances that come to my mind, which I've mentioned in my book, you probably read about them. The first one is um, my best friend's wedding. So we all went away for the weekend for her wedding. She was getting married on the Sunday, I think. And um, everyone got up early to have breakfast with her on that Sunday morning, the day of her wedding, but I didn't. I got up to run 40 kilometres. Um, so that's a really good example of where, you know, nothing was going to stop me. Um, I was very selfish. She'd become extremely selfish. Um, so that's something that I do regret. Um, and then another instance, my, well, my current husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, we were doing long distance and he, we hadn't seen each other for four months. He was living in Thailand and I was in Queensland and he came to visit me for two weeks and he happened to arrive um, during the time of my long run on a Sunday morning. So <laughs> I made him take a taxi from the airport to my place and wait outside for about an hour <laughs> until I finished. <laughs> So it's something I can laugh about now, but it's pretty sad. So that just shows, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, because that voice would have just taken over and said, what are you doing? You've got to, you know, you've got to run your 40K first, then you can start your day. Um, so, yeah, that just shows just how, yes, blinded by it I was and obsessed and addicted. Yeah. And then, like, I was fascinated by, um, yeah, those four years of just hunting for, um, yeah, almost just an alternate answer um and yeah. um yeah uh and the repeated mris and um and things like that um yeah that that must have been such a hard hard period um yeah yeah it was i think it was i mean it was hard because i couldn't train the way i wanted to because i was feeling so unwell so i had a lot of neurological symptoms for four years i had the chronic fatigue for about eight months um but i think the hard thing was trying to I couldn't put, and even now talking about it years later, it's hard to see the link between overtraining and some of those symptoms that I experienced, like chronic fatigue, of course, I get it, you know, you overtrain, you can, you can literally end up in bed for months. But some of those neurological symptoms that I experienced, you know, constant dizziness and feeling drunk and weird sensations down the back of my legs, a lot of those are 
a, a symptoms of neurological conditions. So I was convinced for a while that I had, you know, other issues, other other conditions like MS. Um, and so being a physio, I know a lot about these conditions. And yeah, I just I just went searching and searching for an answer. No one had an answer as to why I was experiencing what I was. Um, and I just went to endless doctors, healthcare professionals, you know, alternative therapists. I spent thousands of dollars and nothing was really ever found other than extremely high cortisol levels. Um, so cortisol is a stress hormone that you that you produce when your body's in stress, but then it should go back to normal when you rest. But mine was constantly elevated. It was about 20 times higher than what it should be. But apart from that, nothing was ever found. Um, so it was, it was tough because I was wanting to know, you know, and it was just, yeah, tough just not knowing what was causing these symptoms um, and not knowing when it was going to end or if it was going to end. And Vanessa, what, what do you feel like when you reflect, reflect back was the turning point that um, really um, got you to change and, and um, yeah, get to where you've got now? Well, it was wanting to have a baby, yep. <laughs> believe it or not. So I got married and we wanted to start a family and I knew deep down I was not fertile. I hadn't been for years because of my training. Um, you know, I hadn't had a natural period for years, but again, I thought I'll worry about that later. <laughs> um because I was too lean and training too much. And yeah, so when I, I suddenly had this new goal, like I said, I'm very goal orientated and and I had this new goal of, of getting pregnant. Um, I knew I had to change my ways. It was either that or spend thousands of dollars on fertility treatment and probably still not get pregnant. So I, yeah, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I went from training 14 times a week to three at a very low intensity. So just really just plotting just to do something. <laughs> Um, I ate a lot more and I put on seven kilos in two months, which was not easy. I know that sounds crazy, but hardest thing ever. Um, and I was very lucky that I did fall pregnant a couple of months after that. So that was definitely the turning point. If it hadn't have been for that, who knows, I'd probably still be doing what I was doing. Yeah. 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 Um, and for others, um, like what, like what would your advice be for, um, others that are perhaps going through a similar um, experience of exercise addiction like and and trying to find mm. find a way out of it um, yeah like that worked for tough you question. but yeah yeah it's a tough question because I think um, everyone's different as to what's caused it so I think you've got to look and think well why am I doing this you know is it to achieve is it to cover up something else in my life that i'm not happy about is it because i had another addiction and now i've gone into this addiction um so it's yeah it's a tough question to answer but i guess it's recognizing that you have a problem um because if you don't recognize it then it's you know impossible to do anything about it um so i guess yeah just just taking a good look and and thinking are you actually happy with the way you are the way you know the way your life is right now um, because runners will always tell themselves that they love running and that it's their life and, you know, but are they deep down, is, is that what they actually want? Um, is it taking over your life? Is it, take, you know, taking priority over other things that, that it shouldn't be, like going out with friends and family or spending more time with the kids? Um, so, yeah, if it is, then I would say get help, you know, talk to someone because that's one thing I didn't do uh, because I don't like to ask for help. <laughs> To me, that's failing, but it's not. It's, I mean, back then, to me, that was feeling like a failure if I needed to ask for help, but it's actually not. That's that's actually, you know, 
I guess, recognising something that could actually save you. So recognising that you actually need the help and that that could save you. So for me, if I'd asked for help years earlier, it would have saved myself and my family years and years of distress. And um, who knows, I might have reached my potential as a runner because I'll never know whether I did or whether I had more in me. Um, but yeah, that's that's if, if there's part of you that thinks, you know, I'm becoming obsessed, addicted, it's not healthy, then I would suggest talking to someone. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's great great advice. Um, I, I'm also interested, like, what's the fallout been from the book? Um, you wrote the book a few years ago, um, mm-hmm. and obviously, like, it's been uh, someone who's, like, um, so involved with the health industry, and, and that's obviously a passion. Like, um, it must have been pretty fulfilling to get this kind of information out there in your life experience to try to help others. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, has, have you like have there been some good stories um, from people reaching out or or yeah I've had a lot of people reach out who are in the similar situation I've had mothers ring uh, you know Google me and find me through my work and you know just people who women whose daughters are, are going through something similar um, and you know they they were so appreciative appreciative just being able to talk to to me because I had been through it. Um, I've got a couple of my clients now who are going through something similar with their daughters. So just to have someone to be able to talk to who fully understands. Um, and I think that's one reason I never listened to anyone is because I thought, well, what do you understand? You're not a marathon runner. You haven't been through this. But if I had spoken to someone who had been through something similar, who knows, I might have listened um, and it might have helped. So that that was my, I guess, my aim for get, getting the book out there is to I guess, tell people that they're not alone, that there's a lot of people out there in a similar situation. Um, but yeah, I have I had a lot of people reach out to me, which has been really nice. Yeah, yeah, no, fantastic. And um, yeah, around about the time that um, you, you your turning point where you're like, yep, I'm gonna try to have kids and you've got three now. Um, yep. uh, <laughs> you also found a forum online and um, you also yes. found a really helpful clinician, uh, Trevor, the kinesiologist, and yes. and then um, the whole through the whole journey. You've had Brent, your husband, and and a supportive um, supportive parents um, and family. Um, yeah, how how important was uh, uh, that support network in the end? Um, yeah, for you. Yeah, it was yeah. really important. I mean, during the actual during that time, I didn't go to anyone. Like I said, I don't like asking for help. But I guess when the book came out, it was a bit daunting, just feeling like I'm handing out my diary to everyone. And I didn't really understand how much everyone knew what had gone, you know, through my head during those years. Um, But everyone's been extremely supportive, even friends. I've had a lot of friends tell me that, you know, they were really worried about me at the time, but they didn't want to say anything because they sort of thought I'm sort of intelligent and I I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Um, But, you know, yeah, there's a a few who've said I wish I'd spoken up and, and said something. I've actually released the second edition of the book. I don't know if that's the one you've read. Probably not if you got it from the library. No, that's the first edition. Um, So the second edition, it has just a couple of extra chapters. Um, It's got a couple of extra chapters, um, and one of the chapters has a few, uh, just a snippet from each each person around me, so my my husband, my parents, a couple of my friends. Um, and their, their perspective of at that time. Oh, yeah. Um, so it was quite, yeah, it was quite interesting and a bit emotional reading their perspective. Yes. <laughs> and how they saw the whole situation at the time. Um, but, yeah, it's obviously very important. Um, but that's where, like I said, I wish I had been someone to ask for help more. 
Um, but I'm, I'm just not like that. But it's not a bad thing to ask for help with. And like I said, it can save a lot of distress. And Yeah, and that, that's, that seems to be like a, a common aspect to, because it sound, sounds like the type A personality types are sort of at risk of, of going down this um, route of, of um, perfectionism mm-hmm. and, and then they're, they're ones to, to feel like asking for help is, is sort of a, a failure. Um, yeah, yeah, so it's, 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 um, it sort of feels like then in that way, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, you, or a vicious cycle. Um, it is. Yeah, yeah, hard to get out. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. Vanessa, I'm just wary of the time. I'm so thankful for five minutes. If oh, you yeah. Um, yeah, well, like, yeah, so the new book, the new edition's got the yellow cover for those that are interested. Um, uh, where can, um, if someone is really taken by this story and um, wants to find out more, where can they find um, your book and then also um, contact you? Yeah, good question. Um, the book's really through me at the moment. I haven't had a chance to get it out to bookstores. This is the, the second edition. The first one um, is in libraries and some bookstores that still have copies, but we stopped printing them um, probably 18 months ago now. But I'm happy for you to um, give out my email address if anyone wants to contact me. Yep. They can do that way and, and you, I can just send you a book. Yeah. That's fine. So my email is n-e-s-s-130 at hotmail.com. Fantastic. Um, yeah, no, no, great. And, um, yeah, that's all I had really prepared. Um, was there any other, um, advice or, um, any other message, overarching message that, um, you just love sharing and, and feel like, um, you just want to get out to, um, yeah, the runners that, um, could be at risk of, of going down this route? Yeah, just yeah. to, like, I mean, I've, I've, I guess I've said it already, but just moderation is the key. And it's not easy. Like, even now, I sometimes find myself just, you know, slowly drifting back to old ways. Nowhere near as bad. I don't have the time with three kids. But, <laughs> you know, there's that part of me that just wants to do a bit extra and push my body a bit harder because we all love that feeling of pushing harder. <laughs> um and so, yeah, I guess it's just listening to your body. You know, when you do get little niggles, it's actually the reason for that. It's your body saying, I need rest and not to push through. And I think as we get older, that becomes more and more important. So my body now is very different to how it was 15 years ago in terms of recovery. Um, I used to be, in, well, I was invincible back then. The amount I was training and not getting injured until I crashed and burned. But um, for a time there, you feel just invincible. Um, the other thing I think is to look at how many Ks you're doing. I think if I had my time again, I would, I would reduce the number of Ks I did in training and I don't think it would affect my time. I think I'd actually probably do better. So I was yeah. at my peak doing about 140 K a week, 160 maybe. Um, but looking back, probably half of those were just making up the numbers. Yeah. If I do a good long run, which you need to do, this is for marathon training. I yep. do a tempo run, which you need to do. I do a couple of intervals. The in between or in between all that, it's just I don't know, it's just extra time on your feet. It's just pounding the pavement. Do we really need that? I, I think I'd be cross training now instead. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's Sorry. great advice. Um, yeah, and um, like in terms of like how you're going now, like it sounds like um, yeah, like it. it, it I'm always interested, like because a lot of things in physiotherapy, like I've sort of just developed the mindset that. you never really fix anything it's always just well maintained um so like um you're obviously still in a a great headspace now um 
but it is it is good um, for people to to hear that like um, that you've you've got to keep taking a step back to to make sure that yeah. you're you're keeping that harmonious um, sort of uh, balanced approach mm. to your running. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's so yeah. easy to cross that line and just think I can do a bit more, a little bit more, and a little bit more, push a bit harder, and then that's when it you sort of spiral down this path of obsession. Yeah, because there are like good aspects to that personality type because it means you you you're not afraid to work hard. You're not lazy. Uh, you yeah, put you put in the work. A lot of people, I guess, are inspired by that. You know, so many people like you're amazing, you're determined, you're dedicated, committed. I'm like, yeah, they're all good traits, but in moderation. Yeah, yeah, because like it, like um, there's a little um little bit on the front cover, a great read and an excellent warning to all high achievers driven to extremes to excel. Um, Yana Pittman. Um, mm. yeah, like it, and I, and I and I think like that's always the danger, isn't it? Like um, it in in moderation. Um, those qualities and that those personality traits are fantastic, um, but it's just easy to sort of um, let them run a bit too crazy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool, Vanessa. Well, yeah. Um, thanks so much for the chat, and um, I'm sure yeah. a lot of runners will find this helpful. So, th thanks, thanks so much. Great. No, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate cool. it. Oh, you know, man.